Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good stuff. Hey, that guy in the video looked like the guy leading worship a little bit ago, too. Connection there? Yeah. Fun to have Paul leading. Paul's a pilot. Uh, been around. It's been fun getting to know him, see how God's been working life for his family. And so uh, we want to see God work in your family and uh, want to create opportunities and uh, continue to invite you into that process as well. Uh, some of you guys probably noticed I walked here, here with an ear of corn. Um, Boomer Sooner, right? Like, th- that's really not why I brought this up, not because they whooped up on the Cornhuskers, um, nothing like that, but uh, we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Um, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would fix our minds on truth right now, Father, that all the extraneous stuff going on in our hearts and our minds would, would kind of fade away, that we'd be able to, to hear from you right now. Father, I pray that you give us the truth of your word, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us to see the grace of Christ all the more, that we'd see that you are a loving Father and a good Father that we can trust with all the ins and outs of our stories. Uh, Father, I pray that you do um, soul work in us, uh, that, we might, that we might experience new life and um, abundant life even, even today. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we uh, last week started a new series called Your Story, God's Story, and in that, uh, really just the, the heart of our stories is, is kind of situated on the grace of Christ, the grace of God that, uh, that he offers us forgiveness for our sin, that he offers us new life that we couldn't earn or, des- earn or deserve, uh, that he invites us into a new community of people that practice what we call gospel culture, that there's a, a people that that give grace to one another, that don't feel like they need to control and manipulate and coerce someone, but they're free to allow God to work in someone's life over time and um, create a new community that we call the church. And in that, really, I want to tell you why some of that's important to me. But before we kind of jump into today, I just want to say, if you, if you didn't hear last week, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. If you don't understand the grace of Christ, if you don't understand what we mean by a community that practices grace toward one another, uh, I feel like you're going you're gonna to have a hard time seeing how your story is connected to God's story. Because we live in this world, and we all run very busy lives. Uh, we all run from one uh, activity to another to another. We've all got phones that we pull up, and they constantly are popping up with notifications saying, you've got to be here, and then you've got to go somewhere else, and then you've got to go to the next place a little bit later. And so we go from one thing to another. And it's easy to see our stories just kind of unfolding on their own, but we don't often step back and say, well, how does God relate to all those activities and all those things in my life? And so... Um, we're going to jump in there in, in this series and just stop and try to hit pause and step back and think through some of how God's story intersects with our story. But let me tell you why it's so important, I think, for us to talk about our stories. Uh, for me personally, when I, 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 when I look out at, at you all, we talk as a church about wanting to be authentic followers of Jesus. We talk about 
uh, wanting to see, help people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. And as I, as I see people, I, I see the, the ebb and flow of your lives. And in your life like mine, sometimes you're really leaning in spiritually, and sometimes you're pulling back a little spiritually. Sometimes you're running hard after Jesus, and sometimes you're backsliding and going back into some old ways. And we have the ups and downs to our journeys. And, and over and over, what I see in, in people's life is that, that I want to see them grow. I want to see them uh, continually develop as followers of Jesus. But we all hit these places that just seem to put the brakes on our spiritual development or growth. And too often, I see people that get stuck in their faith walk. They start fine, they have a good season, and then they just get stale. They just get stagnant. Um, you can probably relate to that. Some of you have probably been in seasons like that. And in the middle of those times, it's easy to kind of get stuck in a rut of lifeless routine, where you're going through the motions, you're doing all the stuff, but you're not feeling a lot of life change internally going on in, in, your, own, in your own heart. And you're not seeing productivity in your life. The American church is amazing at activity without productivity. We're amazing at putting out information but not seeing transformation. We're amazing at staying very busy about religious stuff. We're, we're, we're amazing at putting on a good, a good show, but oftentimes that feels disconnected from the nine to five of our weeks and from our home life and from the other things going on. Now, for some, that leads them just to kind of wander aimlessly. I think we've seen a lot of that coming out of, <clears throat> out of a season of COVID where we all were sent home. You know, it was like we all got, we were all at school and everyone was like, you need to go home. And so we all went home and we hid at our homes for a little while. And then uh, after a while, we went, you know, this is kind of comfortable. Like, I can get up and make pancakes. I don't have anything to do. Like, this isn't all bad. And we became kind of comfortable in this routine that wasn't really running after God's running after God's grace as a group of people, as a community. For the others, it's not just kind of a wandering aimlessness. For, for some people, they get hit with a hardship or a trial or some kind of a trauma that, that just smacks them in the face, and it disorients them. It disrupts their life as they know it, and in that, they sort of lose their balance, and spiritually, that rocks their world, and they aren't quite sure exactly where to go with some of those things. Some of them, it's led to, I've seen friends that it's led to a complete crisis of faith, and they've walked away from Christianity altogether. In fact, in our world, the last couple of years, it's become uh, pretty, uh, pretty common for, for those of us, to, for, for many just to question the church and what we're even trying to do and what this whole thing is about. And in fact, what, what, what I see and as I interact with most of you is that almost every one of us has this kind of low-grade frustration with the church that tends a little bit towards cynicism. That when we look at the church on a broader scale, when we look at how polarized it is, when we look at how antagonistic it is, when we look at just how broken the church seems to be, there's this kind of low-grade kind of sand-in-your-shoe irritant that just bugs you and you just go, man, I don't know that I want to be associated with all of this. And for some of us, that pushes us in a direction of kind of becoming cynical about the church. Um, for some, it goes even a step further. It's become popular to talk about deconstruction in the church. And deconstruction is kind of a broader cultural principle, but within Christian circles, it's become talked about as deconstructing our faith. And one guy defined it this way. So deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. 
And we've seen this kind of pattern of uh, famous YouTubers and mama bloggers and writers and Christian artists that have come out and they put on their Instagram story, I'm deconstructing. And it's become this kind of a trendy thing for people to do to step back and go, I don't want to be associated with all that stuff. Or I've had this traumatic experience or I've gotten disconnected from this group of people or this subculture for me doesn't seem to fit anymore. And I, I, want, I want to discard it. And so because of all those things, it's like, well, I'm going to step back and I'm going to try to deconstruct the belief system that I was handed, that I was handed and, and see if I can come up with something better. A guy goes on to say, sometimes the Christian, or these Christians will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Do you see that in our world? Do you see that in the people that are around you, that they look, they, they look at uh, the things going on in our world, and they say, man, I don't know what parts of that I want. And so they step back and try to decide, where do, where do I fit into the mix? How, how does this all relate to me? Now, here's why I talk about all this today. Most of my experience, when I see people that, that have deep turmoil in their, in their lives about the, about the Christian faith, it's actually not a theological decision. It's almost always rooted in their emotions and in their relationships. And when I see people that, uh, that recoil at something that's happened and they begin to go, well, I don't know if any of this is true, and they start to ask questions about the things of the Bible, it, it so often has to do more with some emotional impact in their soul that rocked their world, some traumatic event, some relationship gone wrong, something that, that, that redirected their life in a new direction that caused them to begin to ask questions. And so I want us to stop and say, well, what does it look like for us to to think about our stories so that we don't find ourselves in places where we think, man, I have to just walk away from it all. I don't want anything to do with it. But not only that, we want to see you grow. We want to see you flourish. We want to see you leaning in and running hard after Jesus. Uh, several years ago, my family and I lived in a rental house, and we, in that rental house, we started having a, an issue where anytime there would be a major rainstorm, we'd get, uh, we'd get water in the basement. And then as you started seeing the water pile up in the basement, uh, you started to notice that that water had creeped up the walls. And then you begin to look in the walls and you realize there was mold in the wall. And uh, we tried to talk to the owner of the house and uh, he continually would come back and um, would try to, uh, try to patch up the, you know, claim that he patched up the leak, that it would be done, and then a big rain would come and we'd see water again, we'd begin to smell it again. And uh, what we realized over time was that a little bit of air freshener and a couple fans wasn't really going to fix this problem. That it was just patching something that was going to eventually create bigger issues, and the mold in the walls was actually going to be something that was dangerous. And so there was some legitimate work that needed to be done. And the reality is, for some of our lives, we need to go back and do some legitimate work. Some of us have some cracks in our foundation that need not to just be glossed over and patched over, but they actually need some reconstruction. They actually need to be rebuilt into something stronger and something that looks more like a Jesus word direction or construction. Um, one of my friends wrote uh, a little bit about this whole thing, Hunter Beaumont, and he said, many of my friends and congregants who go on a deconstruction journey aren't trying to lose their faith. They want to end up in a, they don't want to end up in a Jesus-free place. They just want to make sense out of the faith they grew up in and let go of stuff that's stale or stifling. They actually want a stronger faith, not no faith, more of Jesus, not less. Can you relate to that? 
And I appreciate what he says because most people I know look around and they, they, they see that for, with some frustration, the things going on around them in the world. But in that, they, they think, well, I, I don't want that, but I don't want to lose Jesus. I still, I still want to hold on to Jesus. How is it that we are to go about some of this business? Hunter goes on to give a great illustration of really how it is that we can address this problem. And this is where the corn comes in. Uh, Hunter talks about corn. He says uh, there, there's a process that missionaries have to go in, go through when they move to another culture. And what they recognize is that when they want to take the, the goodness of the good news of Jesus or the gospel into a new culture, oftentimes the trappings or the wrappings around which they've understood that gospel have to be peeled back. And so there's like there, there's a there's an actual husk that, that is all around the truth, the goodness that's there but it has to be peeled back. And what they have to do when they want to go to a new culture is they need to peel back the husk that they've come to understand or package the, the gospel in, and they need to get to the good stuff. And they need to figure out, how do I get this good stuff put into another culture? And how do I understand that? And I think there's something good for us to think about in that too. Because some of us have gotten really upset about the husk, about the wrapping, but so, it's so easy to throw away the hole and lose the really good stuff that's in the middle. And so some of us need to recognize that maybe, maybe the heart of the gospel isn't about politics, and we need to peel some of that back. Maybe the heart of the gospel isn't about a leader controlling someone else. Maybe the heart of the gospel isn't about celebrities and big shows and big stuff and big contracts and, and followers. Maybe the heart of the gospel isn't about judgmentalism and something that has a sense of something rotten that you want nothing to do with. But maybe there's something good at the core that we really can build our lives around that can nourish us and make a big mess on the stage. So as we think about this, I want us to look at a story in the scriptures where someone actually has to do um, some of that pulling back some of the husk and trying to get to the good stuff. And it's the Apostle Paul. Look at me at Philippians chapter 3. What we're going to see is that, that some of us need to let go of some of the baggage and focus on the real kernel and truth of the gospel so that we can actually restore and deepen our faith. When you wrestle with the real gospel, doubt is not the enemy of the faith. Oftentimes, doubt is a doorway into a deeper, more meaningful faith. And so as, as we think about what it does look like to peel away some of the stuff in our stories so that we can get to the, true, the truly good stuff, I want us to look at, it, at the Apostle Paul and how he had to do this. Philippians 3, verse 3 says this, For we are the, the true people of God who worship by the Spirit of God in, the glory, in glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcising the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as, as rubbish on the dunghill. In order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on my faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, 
that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained it, or that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a good word, isn't it? Do you see where Paul goes and what he's understanding, what he's explaining in this text? Uh, it's interesting to me, Paul's separating, saying, what does true belief look like? And he, he uses the word circumcision. I skipped over some of that because we have to go back and explain a whole lot of, uh, of background that I don't have time to explain today. But he's saying, for those of us that are truly followers of God, those of us who really understand what it means to be the people of God, uh, and, and so he's, he's setting up this kind of divergence between two different groups of people. He says, those who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ, and he contrasts it with what? Those who put no confidence in the flesh. Those who are not confident in their own abilities, their own strength, their own earning power, their own ability to navigate all the good of life. And he, then he goes through this long list. And you notice the list that he kind of unpacks. And he notice that he needs to discard some of the religious baggage that he had built up over the years. Um, do you see how many things he, he is able to rip off here? And just says, look, if it comes to the religious performance, I mean, it's, it's almost like he's, he's deadly serious and he's also joking at the same time. You know, when he gets in, and uh, to me it's a little bit funny the way he phrases some of it. He says, look, as to, as to zeal, he's like, I literally chased people down and killed them. You know, like, which one of you is more zealous than that? As to righteousness, I was deemed and pronounced blameless amongst everyone. He's saying, in the religious circles that I grew up in, I, mean, I out-religious out everyone. I worked harder. I did better. I was stronger than anyone else that was out there, and I was able to do all these things. And yet, at the end of the day, what's he say? But all that was rubbish. It was worthless. It was meaningless. And though I, in my flesh, I, I tried as hard as I, as I could. I did everything, did everything just right. I followed all the rules they told me to follow. But at the end of the day, I counted it all as loss because it didn't add up to anything. It didn't change me. It didn't make me a different person. And so I had to let it go. What Paul's saying is, and I was running after something, but all I had was, all I had was empty husks at the end of the day. Like I had, I had stuff that, was, that, that looked like something, but it really didn't amount to anything that was of any value. And so I had to discard it. But in that, in that, that circling, in that seeking, seeking, God eventually intersected Paul's life. And Paul began to see his story that none of that really made the difference, that ultimately he needed a new life, not just a better life. And so he begins to understand the grace of Christ. And... Um, don't have time to walk through Paul's whole story here, but Paul has a remarkable conversion, and his life has changed, and he, he literally is blinded, and God says, look, you're, just, you're blind just like that, but through me you can see. And so I was blind, now I see amazing grace, right, as we sing the song. To Paul, it reorients all his life, and you notice what he says if you, as you get down a little further into this passage. He says, I'm not already perfect, I haven't already reached the end of the goal, and he said, I'm still in the middle of the story. I haven't gotten to the finish line. I haven't gotten to the end. And so not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own 
because Christ made me his own, meaning Christ, I, I don't belong just to myself anymore, but Christ has gathered me up as one of his. I now belong to him. And in that, he says, brothers, do, I do not consider that I made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. He's saying is, there was some stuff in my past that I needed to discard. There were some ways of thinking, ways of pursuing spiritual things, ways of running after truth, ways of running after, uh, running after God that weren't really leading me where I needed to go. And I needed to forget those things that were behind, and then I needed to strain forward to those things which lie ahead, fiercely running after the good stuff that remains. So it says, I press on toward the prize of the upward call of life. And friends, why is it important that we discard some of the old stuff in our life and that we press on to the new stuff? Well, it's not just so that we don't get sidelined or sidetracked in the faith. It's that that grace that's at work in us, that process of growth and transformation and change that happens in, in our hearts and works its way out through the rest of our lives, is the fuel that continues to motivate us to pursue and run after Jesus. And so we need to constantly be running in these um, running in ways that we get to interact with Christ. So as we shift gears here for just a minute, here's what I want, I want you to think about. We're going to shift from Paul's story and, and from kind of shucking the corn, leaving the bad behind, and seeking the really good stuff. I want us to just think about your story. And for you and for me, the, our stories are formed by our past, but they're not shaped by them. There, there are things that, that, that stay with us, but we need to set some of those aside and what I see over and over in people's lives is that we tend to just keep going and keep going and keep going. We don't ever stop and take, uh, take inventory of our lives. And so this process of working through our stories that we're doing as a church, let me tell you why we're, why we're leaning in here. Um, it's not because this is you know, something I could pull up and it goes, oh, you need, to, you need to walk through your whole story, and that'll be the key, for, uh, the, the key that unlocks everything in your church. Uh, really, it's just, we want to see you grow as a disciple of Jesus. And so this is our way to try to help you step back and go, man, how do I take inventory of my life? How do I assess the things that are going on? How do I figure out, you know, what's the husk stuff of my life that I need to let go of? And what's the good stuff that I need to really seek and hold on to? And we want to create a process to help you do that. So, um, but this isn't one of those sermons that you're going to walk away with a simple big idea that you can implement on Monday and go, oh, I know exactly what to do on Monday and, and how to live this out. This is going to be more like a, like, like a syllabus in a college class. My boys just started college, and they got these giant syllabuses, and, you know, you start syllabi, and you first start off in there, and you have this kind of overview lecture where he tells you everywhere you're going to go. That's kind of what, that honestly is kind of what the sermon is going to be. I want to introduce you to a syllabus for a lifelong class that you're going to take uh, for the remainder of the days on this planet. So, uh, but I want to remind you of a couple things before we do. Ephesians 2.10 um, tells us that God cares about your story. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is poema. It actually, it actually comes from the word, uh, or the root word that we get poem from. It means that, that you are God's work that he's creating, like his work of art. You're the thing that he's building, that he's constructing, that he's, uh, that he's, uh, that he's designing. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. He's going to continue to work. We see in Philippians uh, 1.6, another verse, uh, that we need to live with a sense that God's hand is molding us 
uh, not just for now, but preparing us for eternity. Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, God's hand is active and at work in your life. And so we need to learn to trust that process. God's not done with you yet. So let me share with you some stuff that I've picked, on, picked up on in 25 years of ministry. Some of this uh, I picked up from other people. Some of this is observations that I've made. Some of it, I, I, think is, I think all of it is rooted in the truth of the scriptures, but some of it comes from my own experiences as well. But I just want to share with you um, seven things that change the trajectory of your story. Um, and as, we, as you kind of take these in, you might just jot these down. As you go back to your small groups and you prepare your story, if you're not in a small group, we'd love to be able to share with you the process that you can go, and, and really this process is, uh, is something that just allows you to step back and try to put, put your story on paper and assess, and where have I been? Where has God's taken me? How do I see where God's been at work in my life and where he's aiming and, and, and pointing me in the future? And so as we dive into this, I'm going to give you seven areas to think about. First is your personal heritage and history. Uh, each of us has, it has a heritage. You've got a background. You've got a personal history that influences who you are. It changes and shapes, uh, really, the, the person that you are today. And as, as God uses these events and uh, these back past influences to write our stories, to mold us, they've brought us to where we are today. Uh, there, there's no way you can escape the early childhood years and the formative effect that they have on who you are. And so those things really do shape our lives. It's our family influences, our geography, our our natural gifting, our personalities, our, our genetics and DNA, uh, the things that, that, that we grew up around, it makes us the kind of a unique person in the world. Uh, there's no one else in the world that has the exact makeup, the exact personality, the exact history that you do. Um, you're, you're in a unique case. Now, some of us are proud of our past, and some of us are ashamed of our past. Some of us have stuffed it down so far, we're just hoping it never creeps up, Right? We're just like, just push it back down, you know, and if it rears its ugly head, you're like, whack-a-mole, you know, like, nope, you're not allowed back up here, you know, and just shove that stuff back down and move on. Uh, but there's no escaping that the atmosphere of our home, the, the tone of the talk, the, the, the force of the discipline, the presence or the absence of a parent can make in terms of your own development. Some of us dealt with parents who were abusive or uh, who abused alcohol and, and, and were drug addicted. Others of us had parents who had strong faith. And they walked to the Lord, and they encouraged us to do the same. Some of us um, grew up with skills in sports or in band uh, that, that allowed us to excel in certain circles. Others of us grew up with learning differences and didn't realize why school was so frustrating until we reached adulthood. Others of us wandered the halls of our school, not sure where we fit in at all. Um, and you weren't quite sure exactly where you, fit, where, where you belonged. And we have different ethnicities, different financial realities, different educational experience. All these things shape our lives. And so as you think about the trajectory of your life, one of the things we have to account for is just our personal heritage and our personal history. All those things, um, all those things shape and molded us to bring us to this point. Now, the second area that, that really shapes our trajectory is providential relationships. Um, if you talk to anyone who's walked as a Christian for any amount of time, you almost always hear them reference someone who intersected their life and first told them about Jesus or invited them to church or pointed them in the right direction. And when they begin to talk about it, they say, oh, let me tell you about so-and-so and, -so and how, how he made a difference in my life. I was running this way, and he just stopped me and said, hey, time out. You need, you need to hear the truth about your life and where you're headed. And they begin to point me in a, in a different direction. And um, th there's people that, that really mean the world to you. 
Maybe someone that believed in you when no one else seemed to. Someone who saw a gift in you and called it out. You know, it's funny. I was just looking at David Cole over here. He's an FBI agent. And one of the first guys that called me out was a guy that worked with a youth group who's an FBI agent. And I'll never forget as a as like, as like 16-year-old man, or young man, uh, 16-year-old guy trying to be a man, sitting down with this guy. And this guy was a tough dude. He was like... 5'8", little fire plug guy that just shook your hand and made you cringe and talk, you know, he's from Boston and had this big accent. And I'll never forget sitting down with him at Blue Moon Chinese over here, a place that I'm not sure I'd go today. But he, it's still there. But I remember sitting there with him and him looking across the table at me and just saying, Jeff, he's like, you could do what I do. You could be an FBI agent if you want to. And I just remember a 16-year-old guy going, yeah, that would be pretty cool. You know, like... <laughs> Like, he thinks I'm man enough to go do that job. That's pretty, that's pretty killer. Uh, but there's these people that speak in your life, and you remember these moments, don't you? But isn't it, isn't it funny that this many years later, I can remember sitting, I remember where I was, when he spoke a word of encouragement to me as a young man. And you have these people in your life that, that God has sent that they're your, they're your heroes. And they may not be heroes in the sense that you think they're going to be on a big billboard someday. But they're heroes because... God sent them to you, and they intersected your path at a key moment. Maybe it was a friend who was there when you were down in the dumps and in a really, in a really dark place. Uh, maybe it was a mentor who took you under their wing and encouraged you in a, in a career or in a business. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I love what he says about friendship. He says, uh, friends are those people that you finish a conversation with them and you go, oh, you too. Like, oh, you feel the same way I do about this. And there's an instant connection because there's a camaraderie that takes place. We all need people who are honest about our, their doubts and frustrations and their joys and their struggles and the way they experience the world. And we share those friendships and their gifts of God. That's why we call them providential relationships. In my experience, it's the most basic need of community is someone that will just be honest with you about life. Someone that you don't have to put up the pretense, but you can just say, let me tell you where I am today. Those are people we need, and we all need to be surrounded with friendships and relationships like that. Now, um, one way for you to get to the desire, your desire for connection is to look at the people that, were, that, that you consider your heroes. And do you have two or three or four people that you look at, and you look at the trajectory of your life, and you think, my life changed because of their presence in my life, because of that relationship. It could be a parent or a caregiver, a relative, a big brother, sister, a teacher, a neighbor, a mentor. Maybe it is a famous figure or historical role model that became a, someone you wanted to be like. Um, maybe it's a youth pastor or a small group leader or a close friend. Um, we have these people in our lives, though, that are, that, that are God-sent, that play key roles in influencing us for good. And we all benefit from those providential relationships. They have the power to shift the trajectory of our lives, don't they? Let's look at the third. Uh, the third thing that can really shift the trajectory is pivotal moments. Um, our lives are full of both high points and hard times. High points are those places we look at, and they're especially meaningful in a good way of our life. Uh, and it's important to take note of what those things are in your life. What are the things that really encouraged you? It may be a memorable trip with friends or family. It may have been an accomplishment. Something you did that people took notice of, and they, they affirmed in, in you. They, they applauded. Uh, the crowd at the end of your performance or winning a game or getting a promotion in your career that you think, man, I've got, uh, there, there's someone who sees the, the gifts that I bring to the table as valuable. And so those things are affirmed in you. And one of the things that, you know, maybe it was an apartment you lived at 
lived in with your best, with your best friends or a family event like a wedding or the birth of a child or the birth of a grandchild. Baby, these are the things that you look at. Those are the high points of my life. Those are the times when my life seemed the happiest. Those are when, I, when I think about the best times of my life, these are the things that come to mind. So those high points often set the trajectory of our lives, but there's another side, the hard times. Those are the relationships or events that we look at and think, man, those were the low points in my life. Those were the struggles. Those were the, the hard or, or particularly difficult or painful days. It may have been a childhood move from one school to another where you never found a place in the new school and you felt like you lost everything you loved about the old school. Um, and, and you began to put up some defensive walls that really changed the way you interacted with other people after that. Uh, maybe uh, in really just a loss of a job or a loss of a loved one or a relationship and a split up that happened that you've never fully recovered from because it's just always stayed with you. And when you think about uh, your hard times, it's just think about the, the places that were, uh, the things you've endured, the things that, uh, that were painful, or maybe they're still painful. Maybe you're in the middle of one right now, and you're like, well, let me just tell you, right where I am today, because you're in the middle of one of those seasons, incidents that are difficult for you to talk about from your past. I may highlight one of these. And events, but these events change us. And it's important for us to wrestle with these things, and not to wallow around in the sorrow, but to do, take inventory and to put them in the right categories, not to allow them to continue to haunt us. Diane Laneberg, a, a trauma specialist or the PhD, says, when people are traumatized, instead of learning from God who he is, they learn from, from the trauma and believe that God is behind the evil. For many people, God is viewed through the frame of that trauma. Many people lose their faith in God after they experience trauma. But Jesus understands trauma. He willingly entered into trauma for us. He endured humiliation, betrayal, abandonment, nakedness, alone, aloneness, darkness, silence of God, helplessness, shame, grief, and loss of all things, including his life for us. So we don't have to be defined by the trauma, but we can allow Jesus to meet us in a place of our suffering and allow that to become redeemed. Friends, you have a great redeemer. And Christ specializes in bringing light to darkness. That's what he's known for. He specializes in bringing life to places that are dead. And so we need to trust him with the high points and the low points of our lives. Let's look at the fourth uh, thing that can shift our direction is watershed discoveries. Uh, you know what a watershed is? Kind of a, a top or a ridge, a crest of a hill. And uh, at that very, very top where when the rain would fall, everything gets divided and everything goes on one side and, or you know, water goes one way and then goes the other, but everything splits based on that watershed. There's watershed discoveries or ideas that we have that, that are game changers for us. Uh, when you think about the first time you understood what grace was, you're like, oh, I don't earn my relationship with God. I'm not loved because I performed well for God, but God loved me, so I'm free to, I'm free to respond in, in, uh, to his grace, but not, not in a way that's, that's legalistic and chasing after the law. It's what changed Paul's life. And he said, I don't have to run after all these things anymore, but I have the good stuff because I have Christ. Um, watershed discoveries are ideas that really cut through everything to shape your view of the world and your understanding of life. Uh, it's when you understand God's sovereignty for the first time and recognize that, that I, don't have to, I don't have to hold the whole world up um, in my own power and my own strength, but I can rest in his providential care and his goodness. It's why I can have peace in the midst of trying times. It's why I can rest and sleep at night when my life seems filled with stress. These are the things that are important, and it's, it's really critical that we begin to 
be taught the truth in really practical ways. This becomes our everyday theology. Um, these are the things that really direct our lives in, in watershed moments. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep going. The, the fifth one is shifting to serv- servanthood. One of the most difficult things in life is dealing with expectations and dealing, uh, dealing with the losses of our life. Um, any, of you, any of you say as you got a little bit older, maybe, now, I mean, some of you I know everything's perfect, but as you get a little bit older, any of you look around at times and go, this is not really where I thought things were going to go. Like when I, was, when I was a teenager, this was not really what I pictured for my future and exactly how things were going to go. There's some losses, there's some hardship, there's some things that you endured, and you thought, man, I didn't see that coming. I know when I get together with my best group of buds, one of the things that, that encourages us in a weird way is, it's like, oh, we've all got a lot of junk that's happened in life. And it's good for me to know that I'm not the only one. And, and so as we think about dealing with the losses and dealing with those things, um, I call it shifting to servanthood. Because whenever we think life revolves around us, we tend to think everything ought to work out exactly the way we want it, right? Um, but when I look at Christ, I see something a little bit different. I see who, someone who is, in every sense of the word, God, in every sense of the word, holy, in every sense of the world, completely submitted to his heavenly Father, in every sense of the world, in every sense of the word, um, lived a just and humble life, and yet things didn't go always up and to the right, did they? Christ, in fact, just before he died, um, got down on his hands and knees and took off his outer robe and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, one of whom was going to betray him very soon, another who's about to deny him, and the rest who were going to scatter and run away rather than standing by his side. Verse John 13 says, uh, Jesus then says to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. See, there's something that changes our trajectory when we shift our expectation from the world is here to meet all my needs to I'm here to serve those around me like Jesus. And when we have a personal ministry and servant-hearted mindset and we shift, that just changes the way in which we interact with the world and it changes the way that our stories unfold. And number six, doing your heart work. Uh, there are times when you'll break through to a relational connection with God that is personal, and you have a sense that God is really doing something in your heart and in your life, bearing fruit in your life. This is the private discipline of learning to pray, to, to talk to God personally, to allow him to interact with your, uh, with, with your own life, to inter- interact with the Psalms and uh, becoming comfortable with them and understanding, where do I go with my emotions? Where do I go with the stuff in my own soul so that I, I know personally how to take those to the Lord and allow him to meet me in those places? Uh, where, where you're no longer sort of outsourcing your spiritual nurture to someone else that meets with God, but you're learning to go and to run to the Lord yourself in a personal sense. It means you're beginning less, to live less off someone else's relationship with God and beginning to live more and more out of your own friendship with the Lord. And then the last one, God's hand and God time, God's timing. Um, we need to learn to see God's hand in our lives. There, there are times when, when God reveals his sovereignty and grace in our lives in a special way. Friends, sometimes it takes patience to see the good stuff grow. Uh, there's a reason the scriptures call it, uh, to compare it to, to trusting a, far, a farmer. And one of the things I, I remind myself of sometimes is, um, I don't know when stuff's going to grow. My job is just to go till the soil today. And, and sometimes in God's timing, you have to wait until he nurtures something, until he makes it grow. And, and so perhaps God's word, of li- word will come alive to us in 
some place, perhaps some passage of scripture will jump off the page at some point and you'll understand it for the first time, even though you've read it a hundred times before. Uh, sometimes there's things that become more meaningful and, that you didn't really understand in the past, but all of a sudden God's at work in them and they begin to change. But it doesn't happen overnight. The sanctification process takes a lot of time. So let me end with this. Let me go back to what Paul said in Philippians 3. Um, not that I've already attained it or that I'm perfect. Can you all agree there? You relate to him? And none of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. My story is ultimately defined by Christ's story, and I belong to him. And those whom he has gathered to himself and to his Father, he will not lose one. You are his workmanship created in him. And he who began a good work in you will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not going to let you go. So friends, let's do what Paul did. Let's press on to the goal of the upward call of Christ. Let's forget what, um, what was behind, and let's run after the stuff that's ahead of us that we might take hold of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for these friends. I thank you for, um, Father, there's so much truth that we need to wrestle with, but so little opportunity to dive deep into these things today. Father, I pray that you would walk with each of us as our stories unfold, unfold over the years to come. Father, help us to, to lean into, to do work, Father, to, to shed the husk of stuff that we need to let go of, but to take hold of that which is good and never let go. Father, help us to forget what's behind, to run after that which is ahead, that we might take, take hold of Christ. Father, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.